Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times, second captain's podcast. All Murphy and Ken are all here, all very excited. Hi, guys. Although I do have a little bit of bad news if you were one of the thousands watching on television as yesterday's drama unfolded at Croke Park who decided I have got to, simply got to be there for the replay. The bad news is the tickets are sold out. At least two batches of tickets that were put up online by the GA last night and then again at 11 o'clock this morning. And I'm going to guess, Murph, that the clubs won't be returning tickets anytime soon to be sold online. Well, judging by the photographs I saw of queues out the door at Supermax, or Supermax, oh my God. <laughs> Go on. Super, super Value, uh, Super Value are, of course, uh, proud sponsors of the... Uh, of the <laughs> so the way back the... Well, of the GA yeah. Championships. Uh, and you could buy tickets right. in Super Values, Super Values, around, uh, around the nation. Um, and people obviously had that idea this morning, queues into and out of... Uh, uh, branches across Dublin and Mayo. Yeah, from Condra apparently around the ticket office there, you can't move for miles, Murph. Yeah, there are literally millions of people queuing for tickets yeah. for these things. So yeah, I mean, uh, literally millions. After a, after a disgraceful show of thuggery uh, last night, <coughs> apparently or yesterday in Crow Park, uh, it turns out people want to see some more of the blatant thuggery on show. When actually, well, I thought the eighty-three thousand people that were in Croker yesterday so it was a bloody good game of football well Ken Erdy was one of those trying to get on the GA website last night oh was yeah it would it be too much to ask the GA to have a website that actually works when people want to use it well I think it, yeah apparently it crashed due to demand well it was it was ridiculous I mean I was there refreshing and refreshing uh, and it wasn't uh, refreshing it wasn't loading up uh, and eventually when it did sort of load up it, it asked me where do I I'm, I'm like oh great I'm through to the ticket page where do I want tickets you know Hogan Upper Hogan I think we went for Hogan Upper did we we did Ken and uh, and I you know click and put in your put in the captcha and uh, you know all set to go and then it says oh you must specify the number of tickets you want and I was like well I want I'm trying to do that did you confirm you weren't a robot does it ask you to do that yeah, well, that's the capture. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. The, you put in the digits. No, uh, but sometimes it does say, "Just say I am not a robot." 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know that, but but it needs you to say how many how many tickets do you want. Like it asks you, do you want to post it to your house or you know all this kind of stuff and how many tickets. But it doesn't say. There's nowhere. I'm like I would if I would if you'd let me. I would if you'd let me. Oh, so they brought you, they strung you along and brought you through the process before. We, but the page wasn't loading up fully. Wow. Is what I'm saying. So then I had to refresh the page again, and then it wouldn't go through. Then I refresh the page again, and I go on and on and on. And this goes on for like you know, must have been at least five minutes. Nah, it was, it was actually a lot longer than that. It was. It was. Ken's it was just, more like an hour and a half. Kenneth just voiced the, the displeasure of of a nation, but unfortunately, when trying to book tickets for you know in demand events, this is prone to happening. You know, if well, why don't you put? So, well, if you if you if you go to the Ticketmaster website, it doesn't crash. You know what does it do? I haven't actually tried to. Just buy tells a, you now. Sorry, you're too late. The tickets all sold out. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it doesn't if, crash though. At least you don't. At least it tells you. Almost immediately, whether you've got tickets or not, yeah. or whether you know, uh, I mean, as long as there are tickets still available, you can you can buy it. But the GA, none of these tickets were on Ticketmaster. You thought it was a great game yesterday, Murph. I really did. I really did. Even I the mean, first I, half, the first half was a bit stodgy, certainly by first half was Mayo's attack. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fouling in it. Um, there was a lot of extremely physical exchanges. Mm-hmm. Kind of why we liked the game, though. You know, I mean, I like there was a couple of times right when, and I, I, I you know, I watched the Sunday game yesterday. I, it was news to me. I hadn't seen the Johnny Cooper uh, flying kick. I hadn't seen the the, the headbutt. Uh, I hadn't seen what put Rory O'Carroll off the pitch. Um, but I mean, you know, there's kind of everyone was kind of talking about this like really nasty streak. Well, what I thought it was was two of the best teams absolutely going all out and. You know, the nastiness, like, I'm not entirely sure that there was, like, it was a very tough game to referee. There was a lot of yeah. off-the-ball stuff going on. You know, that's kind of part of the game. No, I, no whatever about, uh, was more, I was hugely excited. I mean, the noise in the stadium towards the end yeah. was absolutely unbelievable. The the drama was amazing, uh, particularly from the point that Dublin looked like they had taken it over in the second half to the end of the game. As soon as Mayo looked like they were yeah. coming back, it was, it was unbelievable. I think both teams played a lot of bad football at Mayo. D- didn't offer much in the first half, bar that, those big balls into Aiden yeah. O'Shea, which weren't even very well executed. There were a lot of loopy ones yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Dublin didn't play well at all in the second half, bar the sort of seven or eight minute purple patch they yeah. had. So that, I, I just felt that neither team really actually played the best football they could play, but a lot of that might have been down to the stuff you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've just, I've, we'll get into it with the lads in a minute, but I mean, the tackling, the quality of tackling, you know, and obviously, it's it's a it's not a very exact science because the tackle isn't even defined in the rule book, really. But this idea that you can stand a guy up and strip him of possession and off off you go on attack, like the 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 regularity that with which that happened, and not just to the the guys who shouldn't be taking it into contact. I mean, O'Shea would have caught 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 a few balls. There's obviously a few iffy incidents inside the penalty area, but like further out the field, he gets the ball, and you're like. Right, how do you even go about stopping this guy? And Dublin managed to strip him of the ball, turn over, they launch an attack. I mean, this is the game that we have now, I think. You know, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot more we can ask from teams other than what we got yesterday. And, I, you know, the, we, we'll have another week of talking about, you know, what should happen, what shouldn't happen. I mean, I, I don't think there's a massive, you know, majority of people who need to be told that what Johnny Cooper did probably merits a red card the, if you know, a head was proven to have happened and, you know, like, there it is. You can watch the, the clip if you want. I mean, I don't think that's what we should be talking about. I mean, I think that all of these things are really obvious. And, you know, we can sit around here and say, well, you know, he's not that kind of player and, oh, well, you know, obviously he's going to be disappointed with that. I mean, I just don't think that anyone's really that interested in it. I mean, I think you show the incident, there it is. That's that's the suspension. Get to it. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, 
it's I just I just think it's weird. It's the Gaelic football fraternity is like the you know the sport that eats itself. You know, it's it ne- non-stop every single week talking about referees and this and that. Like the game we have is brilliant. We saw it yesterday. You know, with a couple of incidents that weren't all that savoury. But, like, let's focus on the game that we just saw. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really, really good, really exciting. We'll talk to Oshin and Moylesy in studio very shortly. Jerry Thorny's going to pop in on Ireland's World Cup squad. Uh, we'll get Craig Ray involved in that chat as well. Craig's the man we speak to about South African sport and South African rugby. Uh, the Springboks may be kicked out of the World Cup due to picking too many white players. That's the bald headline. I don't think they will be kicked out of the, the World Cup, but it's obviously an issue that... Faces them every four years, it seems, and Heineken Meyer is being criticised in some quarters for not reaching various quotas. And uh, there seems to be a little bit of political opportunism going on by one of the parties over there who are demanding the passports be seized of the South African rugby team and they not travel over to England, uh, it would seem. Uh, it could, could have an effect on how they play, though. Maybe positive, maybe negative, uh, that this thing is happening again to them. So we'll get into all of that. Can we spoke to you when well, we did the uh, football podcast, which is out now, ready for people to listen to immediately after they finish this one. But we didn't talk about the Bundesliga and a phenomenon over the weekend that you have brought to my attention since. Oh, yeah, this was the um, all, over, all over Germany. Um, throughout the first and second divisions um, at the football matches, they had these huge banners, um, in, usually in the kind of ultra section, behind the girls, refugees welcome. Um, it's just to, to do with the, you know, the kind of what's happening all around Europe at the moment. I mean, it's a, such an interesting situation. I mean, in Germany last week, they had a couple of pretty nasty incidents where... Um, there was, you know, one place a kind of an accommodation for refugees was firebombed, uh, and there was, you know, there was, there's evidently at certain certain areas they seem to think that this is a problem more in the east of Germany, um, where you get like these kind of, you know, opposition to essentially Germany is having to absorb a huge number of um, of refugees, um, eight hundred thousand they think it's going to be this year, which is a you know gigantic number, um, the equivalent. It would be equivalent to Ireland uh, taking forty thousand, which is obviously, you know, many multiples of what Ireland is actually prepared to accept. You know what I mean? Um, but I just thought it was interesting that yeah. at the um, that all the football grounds is happening. I mean, a lot of politicians. I think it's because you know when you see these kind of uh, you know sort of far right wing kind of attacks, um, obviously it's kind of disturbing and frightening to be able to see that. So there was a kind of sense of you know we should sort of rally around. I mean. Uh, Borussia Dortmund even invited, I think, 200, 200-odd refugees to come and see their Europa League game. Um, I don't know, it's pretty... Nothing it's, from the players or anything like that, no? It always adds a bit of weight to these no, things. No, Tony Crowe certainly was saying so. I think a few of the players have said some things about it, um, but it mainly seemed to be yeah. uh, kind of a fan-driven initiative, yeah. Oshin McConville and Anthony Moyles have just landed into us, lads. How are you? On his form. All good, on. Form is pretty good. Murph here reckons that was one of the greatest games of football he's ever seen. <laughs> Slightly putting words in his but no, there seems to be... Obviously, there was the drama at the end, and a lot of us are, you know, probably take the view that that papered over what was a fairly uh, flawed game, quite exciting. But Murph has been making the stating his case that he thought it was an absolutely cracking game of football. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, it was, it was it was an absorbing game of football, and uh, it kind of brought us back. It, it certainly brought it brought me back to kind of like the old days of the of some of the Mead Dublin games that were just absolutely. It was bordering on the edge of everything. You know, there was bodies everywhere. Like I'd say, both dressing rooms were like something out of you know a yeah. Vietnam war movie. Like there was bodies everywhere, shoulders gone, heads split, um, no quarter asked, no quarter given. 
And you know, like there's a lot of analysis and people analysing nearly every single tackle. And like I mean, it was just it was man on man. You know, and it was, yeah, there was a couple of things, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, that around the fringes that you'd say, I'd rather if that wasn't in. But, like, it was two teams that were just, were not going to yield at all. And, like, I mean, they're two massively physical teams. Like, I was thinking there this morning, what if you put some members of some other teams in there yesterday? You know, I was thinking four or five lads off the me team, or three or four, to get absolutely eaten alive. Like, I mean, those two teams yesterday were, as I say, top three, but physically. Like, I mean, the hits... The, the constant uh, uh, aggression, the the work rate, like even at the end, you know, the, the work rate up and down by the Mayo lads and Dublin lads hang on was just ferocious. Yeah. 75 minutes into the game. D- Dublin were dying at death there. I don't know if people saw it on TV, but Alan Brogan had yeah. taken a knock. Paul Flynn had taken him out while trying to get the ball. He was just from not... a dangerous kick out from, from yeah, Rob Henley. Yeah, dodgy enough, yeah, a little chip out the... At this nice little high looping chip. Rob, So Dublin, so Brogan was playing no part really. He's sort of standing on yeah. the field, but pretty much at the sideline. They uh, Connolly sent off at that stage in the black cards. Um, there was no sense of anybody marking anybody. All the it was plans, very chaotic. All the very stuff chaotic. that you'd planned for for the last couple of weeks about who's going to pick up who, are we going to play with a sweeper, who's going to play in front of O'Shea. But yet Mayo seemed to keep their plan longer. I think I think they learned a lot from last year. Oh, I really do, um, because their sideline against Kerry uh, last year in the replay was complete, total and utter chaos, and this uh, they seem to have it sorted out. I don't know whether it's because it's a two-man management team that there's an extra mm. body there. I mean, uh, Holmes is in, is slightly withdrawn that he's sitting with the subs, and that seems to work pretty well for them. Uh, but it was it was chaos. But Jesus, I enjoyed the chaos <laughs> the last eight minutes. It was yeah. it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable stuff. And the thing about, about the dubs is when the dubs went seven up, I thought obviously you know they're going to kick on and win by twelve. There's going to be a few champagne moments for us to all enjoy. So you could you could sort of like you could feel as if the game was going to sort of go. That was the pattern of the game. But Paul Flynn had a ball. And he tried to kick it over the bar with the outside of his boot when he had a load of ground to run into, and that was a, see that was just a signal that uh, that Mayo needed. Mayo won the next kick out, and they started to go forward, and and that was the point. And I, I refer back to you know a couple of games I've, I've played in before that, uh, in particular All Ireland final two thousand and two, um, Kerry came out after half time to win them by five points, and they started to kick, they started to have shots from absolutely everywhere. And it was they weren't playing to win the game; they were playing for all stars at that stage. And we sort of knew that they'd lost the focus, and we ended up, you know, getting slowly but surely back in the game, but not in the way that that Mayo did because Mayo abandoned all the stuff that had locked them up in the first half and just absolutely went at it. Yeah, I'm. I'm so I'm not crazy. I mean, I was I was at the game. Uh, I've seldom heard Crow Park as loud as it was yeah. yesterday. I the mean, noise was insane when Mayo were pouring forward towards the end. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. But I actually thought that if there were mistakes in the game, there were mistakes that were caused by just the best... They're the two best tackling teams I think yeah, I've ever yeah. seen. They're just absolutely unbelievable. Like, anything comes within the, you know, five yards of... Aidan O'Shea or Lee Keegan or Seamus O'Shea or, the, or Parsons just like these guys they just tackle like you wouldn't believe and like the hits that you see I was actually very close to the to the to the action so I was about like three seats from the front and to be there 
is actually just to marvel at just the athletes that these guys are. Jeremy O'Connor came off uh, with about four minutes to go, and he was probably my man of the match, I yeah, think. So Him or J- one, Jack yeah. McCaffrey, I think. They were yeah. the two best players in the, on the yeah. field, near enough. And Jeremy O'Connor walked off, and as he was walking off, he, his face was just completely blank. He was like kind of wandering off the field. Yeah. And he was first he tried to sit down beside the Mayo management, and they were like, no, you sit up by the dugout. And then he, yeah. like, there's like a few seats for stewards <laughs> there uh, beside the, the tunnel entrance. And he sits down there for a second. And, and like, the guys just had to grab him and just say, listen, Jeremy, like, I don't know where <laughs> you are now, <laughs> yeah. but like, you have to sit down. And like, it's not like he was concussed or anything. Yeah. He was just Ashen absolutely face, yeah. emptied. And I was actually I was at the game with um, uh, a couple of guys from Mayo, and they were saying that James Horan had spoken. And this speaks to the character of the Mayo team, which I think is just on another level, I think that he was speaking to a Mayo club team and he said, when I had that Mayo team, the one thing that I said to the guys was, you need to have a medical condition coming off the field. Otherwise, you haven't, you have, you, you know, you haven't yeah. done enough. You haven't put in enough effort. And it, that actually really struck me in the last 10 minutes or so of the game. It's like, these Mayo guys are just not going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, Keith Higgins gets, yeah. a, gets a kick out in the, the uh, left cornerback position. Uh, runs 20 yards, gets through the lines. You know, the the thing that you ask your cornerback to do from a short kick out, you know, get past the first yeah. line of defence, pass the ball to, to Lee Keegan. Lee Keegan gets the ball, is kind of caught for an option. His best option is Keith Higgins, who's gotten 10 yards in front of him. Keith Higgins then passes it on to uh, Jason Doherty. Jason Doherty gets bottled up. Aidan O'Shea gets bottled up. And then all of a sudden, the pop pass is to Keith Higgins, who manages, who, who solos the ball bar, yeah. 15 yards and kicks the ball over the bar. Like... There's a lot to like in this Mayo team. There, there is, is an yeah. awful lot to like in this Mayo team. I know they were like they were absolutely savage because the worry was, as Oshin said, Dublin got the goal against the run of the play, you know, because Mayo had kicked some terrible wives before that, and I thought, oh, this is it. And, you know, they, the third they, quarter, they same managed to just real energy sucking wives. Oh, terrible wives! Like, yeah. You know, Andy Moran comes on experienced player Andy just tap it over the bar let's just keep going here he kicks a really bad wide with his left foot into Cluxton's hands um, McLaughlin comes across who had a poor game although Johnny Cooper and himself like I'd say he, Johnny Cooper literally just put a saddle on him for the whole game but he comes across with his right foot kicks a bad wide it was a dirty kick some mm. terrible ones and you're thinking this is it next thing the goal goes in you're thinking okay well that is definitely it Brogan Allen and Bernard hit two great scores yeah. and McCaffrey kicks a great score and you're you, it's absolutely right. Like small little things, the, like the Flynn effort, yeah. are just small little things. Now, I do believe they then said to themselves, we're abandoning. Because if you look at them in the first half, they were very much single runners. Parson would really, really trot along, but then he'd stop and come back. Yeah. Someone else would get it. They'd, they'd go to the line, then they'd stop and come mm-hmm. back. Those last 10 minutes, there was probably four options. They literally were just going, going, going. And I think Mayo... I know there's a certain amount uh, of, of, you know, you have to set up and defensive and all that, but, but I really think yesterday they will say to themselves, you know what, if we really go at these boys, we can take Dublin. Um, I think they felt first half, they were very much long ball into Aiden, let Aiden get it, and I was a bit disappointed with Kennelly and Holmes that they didn't preempt that and say, well, actually, Dublin will really have a plan for this, so maybe we should shake things up a bit because even the ball into O'Shea was terrible. There was a couple mm-hmm. that were coming down with snow on them. Two or three didn't even reach him. Cluxton managed to come out and get yeah. them. Um, so they were using that all wrong. And you could see the players, when they got into a bit of space, they were like, where is he, where is he? Instead of actually continuing on into the space, yeah. they were looking for him to kick this long ball. And Philly McMahon, to be fair to him, had a hoor of a game. He, like, I mean, he absolutely had a serious game on O'Shea because he was physically... 
deficient to O'Shea, um, but as soon as the ball dropped, they, Dublin got lads around them, and they upset Mayo at that point because that was their focus, obviously, Mayo. But they changed the second half, and, 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 and it certainly the last 10 minutes. Was that changed. largely out of circumstances, though? They were desperate, so therefore they had to throw caution to the wind. Also, Dublin, by that point, had lost Macaulay, they'd lost Bastic, they'd lost uh, Connolly, with nobody able to, uh, having been sent off. Even looking towards the replay, it's all well and good saying they should play like they did in the last 10 yeah. minutes, but it just seemed like there were a lot of circumstances that allowed oh, them to Oh, and I, I actually think that changed how they played after half-time. Immediately. Uh, when yeah, they yeah, and yeah. When, when, the, when you know you talk about the energy sapping wide, uh, that was the only thing wrong. That was the only mm. thing different between the first 10 minutes of the second half and probably the last 10 That's minutes. Yeah. You know, the fact that they were converting. They were getting themselves in the better... I think they were getting themselves in the better areas. I think a lot of what they did in the last... Uh, eight minutes was in around the D. They got a lot of scores in there. They were sort of penetrating them. Uh, but you're right. But when they were seven points down, they had no choice only to play. You don't think yeah. about it then. You stop thinking. Yeah. Uh, you, you stop thinking and you just go back to you know what you know. And they, they started to pour forward. And when they pour forward, they caused the dubs and if, untold. Yeah, and if, and if you looked in that second half, they actually... I would say there probably wasn't one long high ball into a shade. They actually put a few balls in in front of him where he was coming out onto it. But they definitely changed and they, they decided like we're going to go through the hands a bit more. I think Mayo come with a, with a definite plan. I actually think they come with a plan that uh, they wanted the kickouts to go to Cooper for some reason. They seemed, mm. to, they seemed to allow straight, Cooper yeah. to have that mm. bit of space so he could get the ball. I don't know whether they thought that they could, they could take the ball off him or he's not a great distributor of the ball or whatever. Um, but they seem to have a definite plan that way. I just couldn't believe that they actually give the kickouts up because when you look at, they'll look at back at the video and they'll say, you know, look at the last ten minutes when we made them kick yeah. the ball, when we put them under pressure to kick the ball. Imagine having that, having done that to Dublin early on. I know Dublin would have maybe changed things a little bit, but what, what did they have? I mean, they don't have a a, a midfield that can rival what. Um, what Mayo have in that area? They're not going to win clean ball with that. With that. With that. They okay. They'll get the half forwards and the half backs in. Maybe they get break ball, but if they make them kick the ball to the middle of the field, they're in real trouble. Yeah, and I think that uh, when you look at how Dublin, like Cluxton is, is very comfortable kicking the ball to Johnny Cooper or to Rory O'Carroll or whoever mm-hmm. when it's against Meath or West Meath or teams like basically any team other than uh, Mayo and Kerry. Even I would say that the Mayo forward line tackles better than any other forward line in the country. So if, you, if you're taking short yeah. kickouts, like if you see guys getting just stripped of the ball, just getting like brutalised and stripped of the ball, as happened in the first half as well as in the second yeah. half, suddenly the, you're not as willing to take the risk that that Cluxton would against other teams. You know, like a lot of times he'll chip it out to Johnny Cooper, he'll tip it out 25 yards to Michael Darren McCauley, who's made a, sh- you know, like the little, like run to the centre back position. And he did it once or twice, but yesterday. But if um, uh, McCauley has to turn around then and face Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor and Jermot O'Connor, who can really strip ball, I think that that made Clux- If you're talking about the Cluxton meltdown, and it was a meltdown in the last 10 mm-hmm. minutes. I think that that, yeah. that that plays a big, big part in it. So when you look at the dubs, like I don't think they played really at all in the second half, apart from they got a massive lift with a very, very lucky goal. Mm. And, you know, kind of people are saying maybe Mayo uh, put the head down. I don't really know that they did that. I think Dublin did play well for the seven or eight minutes after that. But either side of that, like they just didn't play. 
I don't think they played. No, the second half they were... And, and what was actually systemic of that fact on the Cluxon thing is, you look at the amount of kickouts where he gave it short and Fellas just gave the ball straight back to him. Yeah. So they received the ball with their back and they didn't want to take the chance of, I'm going to turn now here and take on this Mayo forward. They just said, actually, here, Stephen, you have it back. Yeah. would actually put more pressure on him because now he was actually, if you remember two or three times, he's looking up and he hit kind of outside of the right boot kind of kicks 30, 40 yards into space. But he was straight away and even the one where he got blocked down, you could nearly see that happening. You know, he was so unsure. He didn't know where to go with it. Um, and that was like a massive chance. That should have yeah. been a goal chance. Like Andy Moore, it was a real fella. He needs it to get a score. All you need to do is hand pass that back out. But looking forward, they're under serious pressure with regard to me because Mayo will definitely learn that. They say, look, okay, we're not going to give them any chance. We're just going to rightly push up. And if he kicks into those pockets, Paul Flynn, Connolly is now gone, who is a big go-to man for Cluxton's kickouts. Flynn is the other one. And Flynn just doesn't seem to be, you know, it's a short shelf life what he does because it's he so ferocious. He started the game really well. He did. He I started really well. But then, half, he, but then yeah. he faltered. You yeah. know, Kilkenny started had a massive first half. Mm. But you see, but Mayo all took a step forward. There was yeah. a bit of going on yesterday. There were certain lads deployed to take fellas. Keegan and, and Connolly most definitely. Johnny Cooper, McLaughlin. They were literally in each other's pockets. But there was mm. other fellas who actually were allowed kind of get space. Um, and Mayo had a couple of changes with Drake and your man Durkin in. So there was a little bit of, you know, maybe maybe confusion there in that regard but I think it's, it's, it's a big problem for Dublin the midfield situation Bassick will probably come in but around that area that's where Mayo I think will say well this is where we're going to learn the most Has this been a big problem as well because everyone's sitting around bigging up how manly the game was and all these split heads and these things but some of the Dublin and not even necessarily the ones they were punished for but some of the Dublin tackling uh, was it Johnny Cooper on Dermot O'Connor raking his leg down the fr- his studs in the front of his leg Whatever about the Philly McMahon headbutt, I mean, it looked like a headbutt. There were these ones that, that actually didn't go uh, particularly punished. When Dublin put the pin in their collar like that, do they lose it a little bit? And I, is that a problem? I haven't seen that much of this from Dublin before, but the big thing for me as far as discipline goes and the real signal from Dublin's discipline was the amount of times they got the ball moved up. I mean, usually... That as well, yeah. Yeah, if you're a Dublin, if you're a Dublin player, yeah. or a Dublin player, certainly from what I've seen under Jim Gavin, that happens once. It doesn't ever happen again. Because, you know... I seen um, the what do you call background guy uh, Mick uh, Deegan Mick Deegan sorry yeah. running onto the field as soon as Connie and he was giving it to him uh, he was he was giving it to him and he was pointing at him and uh, Connie was like you know I'm I'm sorry and he was he went again at him you know just to make sure but Connie did it again you know what I mean and and that must as a manager. You, if you have hair, like you rip, you'd rip your hair out over that stuff. Well, it kept Dublin, it kept Mayo, sorry, in the game in the first half. O'Connor's frees were absolutely phenomenal. You know, from from in those tricky little areas where you're not on the fifty, but it's kind of forty five, and it's way out left, yeah. way out right. He kicks some serious. Scores. Some of those ones in the first half are probably fouls that the defender almost needs to commit, though. Whereas the stuff that Ocean yeah. was talking about, the mouthing and mm. giving yeah, away. Yeah, but some of them were brought in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's on the edge. Yeah. He's yeah. on the edge of what he yeah. can kick, and then all of a sudden he just stroke it over. Yeah, yeah, and you should, and you know. You should see it, but but definitely the discipline situation, like even the goal, the penalty, like Philly McMahon, no need for him to do that. Four individuals, yeah. Fitzsimons was Stand in front. All him. you need to do is just hold him up, bring him in, and actually, if you strip him of the ball there, that's the end of the game. That's yeah. the winning of the and game. And you know what? It's it, it's 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 so obvious what you need to do there is it's like a rugby mall, you know, like the choke tackle. Hold if you up. keep him on yeah. his feet, he there's no way on earth he's going to get a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if he hits the ground. 
I was just talking to someone about this earlier today. If you're if you've got your back to goal, there's no way you're get, as a forward you're getting a penalty. If you're running towards the goal mm. and you get a touch and you fall over, there it's it's chalk and cheese. You're, you're, yeah. The advantage yeah. is always with the attacker when you when you're at running straight towards the goal. Like say the the Dublin penalty was you know probably two yards outside the outside the penalty box. But if you if you're travelling at speed, you get a touch, you go over. The referee's more than likely going to be forty yards away from it. It's an easy decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. But the the one that say the Aidan O'Shea uh, incident in the first half where he was blown for mm-hmm. over carrying, feeling a man's arm goes in there. It's a bit of a wild tackle. I mean, I'm not saying it's a penalty, but at the same time, it's, maybe it's you know it's you could make an argument for that to be every bit as much of a. You penalty. talking about the Aidan O'Shea one in the first half? Yeah, yeah. I can't understand how he didn't get a penalty for that. From where Joe McCollum was looking, I thought it was a penalty. I, yeah, I, you I know, did, I didn't understand how he couldn't get a penalty. He also gave against Aidan O'Shea for over carrying when there was three men hanging, hanging off him, and sometimes. You know, I, I watch that. If you want to watch under 12, under 14 matches, if there's one big gay, I mean, he never gets a free because Ever. there's all these wee <laughs> yeah. gays bouncing off him and they're, they're jumping on his back and they're trying to pull him to the ground. And, and, then, the, and then the wee little corner forward gets a little touch and yeah. over yeah. he's no bother. But that is O'Shea's... That was that's why I say I was a little bit disappointed with Mayo because they didn't get enough people around him. There was one stage where there was four or five Dublin fellas around him and all he needed to do was get up and get a hand pass out to someone. Yeah. But there literally wasn't a Mayo man within sight. Like they actually kicked it and they didn't even follow it in. They just said, Ah, he'll be okay in there, yeah. you know. And the McHugh thing from Donegal that maybe they felt, well look, he'd be able to do this and maybe when O'Carroll went off as well, they probably said to ourselves Actually, yeah, well, no. Philip McMahon is so much smaller. It's actually yeah, yeah. incredible. And they, Dublin did need a little help around there. It wasn't just McMahon. But the the point about the headbutt, I think, that was interesting was that Aidan O'Shea was asked afterwards about the incident. And he said, oh, yeah, no, he headbutted me. All right, yeah. But, you know, these things happen. I was saying, geez, that's quite a lot of honesty there. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if, if well, the, I think, you know, like, you, know, you know, you normally don't want to say anything after a game yeah, to in yeah, any way yeah. antagonize the opposition. But to confirm <laughs> that you were headbutted by a player. Well, as Malachi Clerk was writing in the, the Times this morning, it's like, he can't very well say, I didn't see it. You know, <laughs> the old Arsene Wenger defense. Yeah, yeah. But if you're asked a direct question, were you headbutted? Yeah. I mean, he didn't call a press conference afterwards to say, yeah, listen, yeah. this is what happened yeah. here. Uh, I, don't, I, I think we're going to spend probably a long time this week reading about disciplinary issues and all the rest. And, mm. you know, it kind of seems like that's what we end up talking about every, yeah, yeah, every week. And I just yeah. I find it kind of quite I find it tiresome, you know, like obviously it should be highlighted. You know, like the Johnny Cooper thing was a very, very dangerous tackle. That was a bad one. <clears throat> if there's a headbutt uh, that wasn't uh, seen by the officials and Aidan O'Shea, he got a headbutt, he turned around to the referee and said, did you see that? In fairness, he didn't go down... Uh, feigning injury or anything like that and I suppose we should we should be thankful Killian for that Killian O'Connor swinging his arm at yeah like a lot of Dublin people very upset about about that to be honest I mean I think if, if you guys saw this in the game last night Killian O'Connor swings back hits Rory O'Carroll gives him 10 stitches I yeah. I don't think that that was deliberate I you know I think that yeah, that's the way he waves his hands sort of thing well I think he was kind of going to you know get him away like he's holding me I can't get believe him away I, I actually couldn't believe from the incident that he ended up with 10 stitches though because it didn't yeah, look yeah but it's just—I'm not saying that that it, I know what happened, but just the way he flailed his arms around. I mean, you yeah. wouldn't think you would get ten. And again, it's—it's not—it wasn't a kind of this. You know, I—I mean, I think you know you can go, uh, you know, uh, the full nine yards on this. But his his arms went upwards, so his arms are going up to try and give the linesman a chance yeah. to see him being dragged down, as opposed to the sort yeah. of Fellaini, you know, sort yeah. of elbow. You know, yeah. where the, the arm doesn't go above the shoulder, it's and it, it's a movement backwards. I think it was a very, it was just one of those. Um, 
I remember being in a club game years ago and I was chasing this lad back and he bounced the ball and I kind of came up behind him and I went to dispossess the ball but I caught him on the, the he's actually a good friend of mine now but I caught him just above the lip but literally his lip opened like a can of beans I've never seen any uh, the amount of blood I couldn't believe it and like lads were trying to get in over the fence there was an ambulance call <laughs> just, and I was going to go I, was just trying to I don't know how hand. that happened <laughs> yeah, like I yeah. really don't know how that happened um, as I'm being held by the referee and about four, four other fellas trying to kill me but it, it was just kind of one of those where it hit a fleshy part like I could not believe the extent of the injury I was going yeah. did that happen from that one I couldn't yeah, I thought yeah. there was something else yeah actually. and I, I do take your point if it gets a bit boring going on about each different uh, instance in a game one especially to the point sorry on yeah. that, that we sanitize it completely for the next day of course yeah. It, yeah. You know? of course there has to be physical contact there has to be that ferociousness that was brought but into something the I game. noticed that creeping back into the game yesterday one thing that black card has been good for is it does seem to have I don't think it's gotten rid of people being dragged in I think a defender drags a forward down and hopes for the best and oftentimes he's, he doesn't get a black yeah. card but the you know the supporting run that used yeah, to be blocked the whole time that seems to have uh, usually if you yes, want to pass the ball yeah, now you can yeah. support but something that was happening a lot yesterday was players not even within possession players say 50 yards away from possession about to make a run and just hauled to the ground yeah. you know it's, it's probably yeah. how the Connolly Keegan thing started when, when they got sent off yeah. so those kind of things are they're frustrating to watch because they do stop a, but that's where a linesman comes in and you well, know you yeah. can talk about the linesman literally he's there for telling you it's, it's going up or it's going down <laughs> like the linesman has to then just go okay I saw 5 and 12 they're yeah. at it two yellow I cards I think he might have for Connolly it looked like he well I I just you know, found it very interesting just from where I was, I was about five yards from, ten yards from Noel Canelli. And after ten minutes, he goes to the linesman and says, just keep an eye on McLaughlin and uh, Johnny Cooper. Cooper yeah. And, you know, at that stage, it's like, sure, the manager is dictating, you know, what's going on. But at the same time, you know, if the linesman decides to keep an eye on that, he will see, you know, rampant criminality. You know, like that, you know, like it's blatantly obvious you're just looking at it. And in the same way that it's, it's with O'Shea, it's with... Con- and, like, you know, Lee Keegan is an expert at uh, uh, antagonising people, at driving them to the absolute edge, yeah. looking for a reaction. Uh, like Keegan- I thought it was only Sean Kavanagh did that in the no, entire no, sport of getting no, football. No, no, I've, I've got news right, for you. Okay. I've got news for you. <laughs> two lads do it. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, is, it is called the Kavanagh technique. Yeah. But, uh, uh, no, I mean, like, Keegan is an absolute expert at it. And he'll be... If, if, you, if Mayo are three points up in garbage time next, next week... Lee Keegan will be doing something, <laughs> you know, he'll be dragging someone to the ground, he'll be throwing the ball away. And like, you know, that's, to be honest, I don't have that much of a problem with that. I mean, you know, if P- Peter Canavan was playing in 1992, 1993, you can be sure someone was giving him plenty of it Absolutely. off the ball. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a part of the game, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't, you know, I, 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 it's, it's not one of these things where, you know, something has crept into the game, you know, yeah. like, you know, Sean Purcell yeah. had to deal with it. Mick O'Connell had to deal with it. Mikey Sheehy had to deal with it. It's and, you know, and in the same way that you know Pele got booted out of the World Cup in 1966. This this is what happens when you have really good players on a team sport. Yeah. They're going to get targeted, and it's too. happening off the ball more purely because of the focus of the tackling on the ball. If you know, you know, if if, if I'm marking O'Sheen and he gets the ball and then I come in hard on him. Anything could happen. Still I could no, get a yellow, I could yeah. get a black, I could get a red. Much easier for me to stop him before he gets the ball. As he's about to make his run, I cut across and both of us land on the ground. I hold him down for a mm-hmm. bit, I get back up and I'm like, oh, we're <laughs> yeah. just defending. You know, so it's, 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 it's a lot easier and it is creeping in. And as you say, the other bad thing that's creeping in is lads jumping around looking for cards for fellas. Like, you know, black card, black card. Fellas jumping around calling for it. The black card has been, for certain things, but I think it's been, altogether, it's been a disaster.
yeah. really has. Oshin? No, I was just going to say, you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, we talk about the black cards, and the other thing is that the, there's no excuse for the inside forward and the, and the defender, you know, laying the ground, and that not being flagged up by two umpires who are standing there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like this guy in the... Europa League who uh, the Champions League who, who's on the end line and never seems to see anything you know what I mean and they're a bit like that and you talk about the linesman pointing one way or pointing the other I mean it's not a white flag or a green flag job I mean that has to be uh, you know that has to be part and parcel of especially for the inside forwards who usually are targeted more of than course most they are indeed yeah. <laughs> just a word on, uh, to go back on something you said about Dublin there because to wrap things up soon but you mentioned the Paul Flynn uh, shot that he took on. Uh, was it you? She mentioned yeah. that as a turning point. Once that was missed, suddenly they are back in the game. It seems like this happened last year. Dublin were well up against Donegal. They miss one, and then it's oh, well now they they, they could collapse here. Well, yeah. Not that anyone thought that was going to happen against Donegal, but it did. Are these some frailties that have never been fully dispelled? They've got two All Irelands in the pocket. They've got a really good manager. They've got all these things, and yet they miss a shot. They're seven points ahead, and suddenly, oh, they all want to come back. <laughs> No, I don't think I don't think it's as simple as that. I, I really genuinely think it's uh, it's who they've gone, who they've played beforehand, uh, how they've been pushed beforehand. Uh, you know, I've heard people saying after the game yesterday that um, Kerry will be delighted that these two teams have to go at it again. I don't think so. No. I think they would have uh, they would have yeah, uh, taken a, a winner win, yeah. a winner yesterday. Um, Aim for tomorrow's will be. He, he won't be happy that these two teams have another go at it now. This is a game that both of these two teams needed. You know, I mean, we're talking about semi-final stage before they've been truly tested. So Dublin have been truly tested now, and normally when a game goes like that, I've been involved in games like that. When a game goes like that, you lose it from a Dublin point of view. You'll get you'll get mm, nicked yeah. by a point. Uh, especially considering all the opportunities and the five minutes of extra time, you would think there's only one team going to win this. They got away with it. Now is was where Dublin learn more than ever because now they've had the Donegal thing, they've had the Mayo thing yesterday, and now they've got a chance to put it right. But, but they there, don't have to wait twelve months for it. Is they there a chink in the armor mentally though? Well, I think the chink in the armor comes from the fact of the fact that. See, if Dublin line up against Meath or Leash or Loud or whoever it is for Mana, every one of those players, two, three, four, Philly McMahon, Johnny Cooper, most players know I can just go here. Like we didn't see any one of those trademark Johnny Cooper, Philly McMahon going, taking a ball off someone, going into midfield, carrying on. None of that happened yesterday. <coughs> so what's that? That's fear and and it's respect for the opposition. So they're they're in a situation where they're going, okay, these, these fellas are the real deal. So I'm going to stay at home. I'm not going to go. So all of a sudden that option is taken out of Dublin, which is a big, big attacking option that they have. The only man who did it, Jesse, was McCaffrey. McCaffrey yeah. You know, McCarthy was anonymous in the yeah. second half. So Keane O'Sullivan wasn't doing it because Keane O'Sullivan was protecting. So then you look at your midfield. Fenton isn't the guy who's doing it. McCauley was doing it, but he was getting stripped of the ball and having a poor game. So that whole drive from their full-back line, half-back line, midfield, is now gone. So then you're looking and going, okay, why is that gone? Is it because of the opposition? But I think it's also a little bit of fear, as I say. I've played defenders all the time. And when you're marking a guy that deserves a lot of respect, you don't generally go to go off his shoulder and take a hand pass because you're thinking, if I don't get this or if I get stripped of the ball, like we've been talking about, like Mayo met some fellas very early and very hard. And I was kind of like, don't come back in here again. (laughs) you know. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to. I'm just going to stick with O'Shea or I'm going to stick with Mm -hmm. whoever it was. And that... Gavin's going to have to address that and say, 
this is not how we play. We're going to have to take this yeah, chance a, and this in, risk. And in a way, uh, sorry, briefly, I think Mayo and Dublin can both... The, the best option for both managements this week could well be let's, you know, take the handbrake off here. Yeah. From Mayo's perspective, they're... You know, Mayo might think that they actually win a shootout against Dublin, which is a strange thing to say because you would reckon that Dublin have 10 forwards and Mayo maybe have Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor in the top, top level. But in a weird kind of way, if Mayo really attack Dublin next Saturday, I think there's an excellent chance they win that game. Can I just make this point? Uh, Do you remember Van Hal saying all, all, he's saying Di Maria and Falcao and and he just wanted to get them all into the team? Didn't matter whether they fed it or whatever. I just think something similar on the Keane O'Sullivan thing. I mean, John Small played most of the, uh, most of the league as a sweeper and as I said before, I thought he did really, really well. I think he suited to that role. Keane O'Sullivan's a better footballer than him and will offer you more going forward, but they're playing him in a sweeper role where it's not really happening for him. He's not having any effect on the game. He looks a frustrated and forlorn figure playing that role. Uh, maybe it's time to move him to the middle of the field. Maybe I think he, I think he's needed there now. Yeah, and the other one is, and I don't want to steal your thing because I know you've got copyright on it, but horses for courses in that. Bastic has to play against Mayo. Yeah. If, if you're yeah. playing against Mayo and you're playing against that, Bastic has to play. Michael Darren McCauley, unless he's given that energy that he has been, you know, he's, he's not doing anything for Dublin. But I just think that if, if Small is your best sweeper, then play him and then play O'Sullivan out the field. So Dublin will probably make a few changes for the next day. Early predictions for next Saturday? Mayo. I'm sticking with Dublin. Sticking with Dublin. All right, lads, brilliant as ever. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. See if you don't got this out with mother will. You're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it. I'm fucking raging. Speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got a job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. What's it, fans? You just need to fucking work, you it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Ah, oh, a lot to get stuck into there. Murph, great chat with the boys as always. Stephen Cluxon described it as a meltdown. I don't think that's too far away, is it? I mean, at the key moment, the key moment is Mayo have just gotten have just scored the penalty. Let, we should be in no rush to take this kick out. Someone go down injured is what you're supposed yeah. to do. Cluxon throws the ball down and passes it directly into the chest of a Mayo player. Three seconds later, Andy, Andy, Andy Moore has equalised, <clears throat> and that's the game. Um, there, there was obviously the earlier incident where his his kick is blocked down by Andy Moore. I mean, when the Mayo forward Mikey Sweeney, the substitute, had his kick blocked down with like three minutes to go to win the game, I'm thinking it actually doesn't matter. You still, as an intercounty footballer, you can't be blocked down. You can't allow yourself to be blocked down. Stephen Cluxon allowed that to happen inside his own penalty area. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's an extraordinary thing to have happen to a guy who's normally so unflappable. It's not unflappable. impossible that the miss freeze impacted on him. And yeah. you, often it can be seen the other way around. We've spoken to Ushin a lot about a free taker really wanting that first one to be close in. It's, yeah. it's a, a cliche, but it's also 
true that you like one to ease yourself in. You get in the scoreboard and your your overall game can improve. But equally, if you keep missing these kickable frees as Cluxton was, you know, it's, it's not ideal. It's something no. else that a lot of goalkeepers don't have to concern themselves with. That they want to go back now and focus on the the yeah. kids. Plus, Mayo did a good job. And funny, the on Saturday night, Orti showed the documentary from two thousand and five. I think it was two thousand and five, the Dublin documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was, I remember seeing at the time and thinking, yeah, that's interesting. Behind the scenes, you don't often see that. It was great looking back at it now. It was, I was actually more enthused by it on second viewing because uh, you see Dublin in the sort of warm-up area of the changing rooms after beating Leash in the Leinster final that year, mm. going insane in celebrations, having just beaten Leash. And it was a, that's when it used to be exciting going to Dublin games yeah. all the time. But there was there was a whiff of the of that team, uh, you know, and that they had a lot of great battles. But you were never sure about them mentally for a long time. There was there was always this fragility. Which doesn't seem to have been totally erased, bizarrely, after a couple of All yeah. Ireland's. And you go and beat Kerry by, uh, you know, having been four points down with whatever it was, nine minutes to go, with a kick in the last minute. I mean, you think you've answered all those questions, but just in the last twelve months, I mean, the Donegal semi final last year, that yesterday, you, you, you know, the questions have to be have to be answered. The great thing is they can answer them next week. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. four or five days from another. Like it's going to be absolutely brilliant. I, I I I said before the game yesterday. I can't see a way that this game isn't going to be hugely entertaining, and that still stands. Keep for trying us. for those tickets, everybody. There's got to be some way to get them. Don't worry, I know a man. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of this now. That's right. You're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. Got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs> Own bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Hello there, Owen. Oh, hi, Karen. Uh, for whatever reason, some P. Bezos will, you know, stick in the memory more than others. I mean, I, I, I don't want to ask you about the most famous P. Bezos, the one that springs to mind most readily for you. That was the one when Pierce himself was giving a lecture and somebody got a P. It was the closest we got to the that man was, himself. That was, that was good, I'll give you that. But there was one a number of summers ago, for instance, that we got an email from a few J1ers in Ocean City, Maryland. You yeah, remember this? This is an early one, I think. Yeah, they worked in a subway. For the entire summer, and there was something about that pathetically boring, almost Beckettian existence in America's crappiest city that really resonated, I think, with all of us. And one of the Ocean City boys has been in touch again, on, uh, but he's in rather more salubrious company now. Uh, here's John Lawler's email: Dear Pierce and lads, long-time listener, second-time P. Bezel seeker. I'm a veteran of a J1 P. Bezel. Two years ago, while working in a subway in Ocean City, Maryland, I've already covered that. I've been working in Liechtenstein for six months. I also found myself playing for the only rugby team in the country. The National Sevens team competed in the same tournament as Ireland earlier in the summer and had the misfortune of some of their players missing their flight to Bosnia. In the end, they had to get a 40-plus-year-old uh, committee member to tug out to make these seven players, typical Junior B football style. Anyway, the Pibezo pictures of me and Prince Alawaz of Liechtenstein mm-hmm. at a recent Open Day garden party he hosted in his palace. I hope the lack of a sign is compensated for by the presence of the limited edition black t-shirt, and it is there, and the sixth richest monarch in the world. The other guy in the photo is my Catalan friend and colleague, Ernest. Sorry for the long email. It'd be great to get a Pibazo for myself and the other wild geese working in Liechtenstein. Pierce, Keane, Soren, Tom and Mick. And of course, Ernest. Yours in sport, John Lawler. The prince, the t-shirt, the email, long-standing dedication to the Pibazo cause. There's a lot to recommend this email. Of course, there's no sign, so, you know, tough shit. <laughs> uh, maybe if he was in the top five richest monarchs in the world, we could have made a... But I mean, Ken, can you believe that? Top, he's the sixth richest monarch in the world, the Prince of Liechtenstein. Well, why wouldn't he be? 
Tax free, is it? Tax haven. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I can't um, imagine the prince has paid too much tax over the years. Yeah, well, why, anywhere. I mean, why wouldn't he be uh, vastly wealthy? Well, I mean, it's a teeny tiny little country. Um, well, Qatar's not that big. Switzerland ain't that big. A lot, of, yeah, a lot of rich people there. Luxembourg's pretty small. Monaco. Uh, well, isn't yeah, the but biggest. I mean, I'm talking the six. The six. I mean, I'm not saying he's like. I'm not expecting him to be out. You know, with the beggars ball here. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know a really weird thing? He's actually. He's a guy who was the goalkeeper the day they drew with us. It's the same <laughs> that fella. He's bastard. He turned into a prince. His second career as yeah. a very wealthy prince. Ah <laughs> oh, yes, humbled by a uh, yeah, uh, brought low by a humble prince. That's so, what happened to us that day. Simon defeat to Wales never never feels good. I got to be honest with you. In the world of rugby, even no. if it should be an inconsequential friendly, but are you at all worried about how, how terribly we played? Not really. I think a few of our players weren't up to speed. Sexton and Murray in particular, and you need your halfbacks, obviously, uh, on top form. The ref wasn't really looking at the offside line, and that might change in the World Cup, and that totally changed the flow of the game. We saw a few players caught behind the game, and when they really hadn't done anything wrong, they just received a perfectly good pass from Conor Murray. Jack McGrath was one of them, for example. He, he received a pass and was tackled. Wales must have been offside at certain times. That never got refed. Um, and I think... Like Ireland, Ireland deliberately played a limited game plan. There's obviously a lot more to come from them. So in terms of us playing badly, yeah, but I think there's a ton of things that are quite easily rectified. But I think the game was probably about... Originally, the idea was this game is so we can finally decide on those few other players we need for the 31-man uh, World Cup squad. But I think we end up learning more about the starting team. Like Ian Henderson should almost definitely go in there now. Suddenly, Dave Car- Carney from... Like the absolute fringes of making a squad is probably the first winger in there. So some strange things happen, but I don't think we learned a whole lot more about Keith Earls or Luke Fitzgerald, for example. Jerry Thorny's popped into us. Jerry, how are you? Very good, thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, it's nice to kind of get this, this squad whittled down, which is going to be happening in the next mm. little while as we speak. But just a lot of the focus has been on who's going to be in the squad and you know who will be our third choice from half, etc. Maybe mm. more relevance is uh, who's going to play their way into the team. Now, mm. from the, the Wales game, I don't know how much Schmidt is going to put on one performance, but Shane Horgan was talking about Dave Carney as a possible starter, mm-hmm. given how well he played. And Ian Henderson seems to certainly be flavour of the month with everybody at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think Devin Toner might be looking on a little bit um, anxiously, maybe. As, did, did either of them actually play their way into the starting team for the World Cup? Hard to know for sure. I would say good chance that Dave Carney has done and Ian Henderson may have done. Um, although players like Henderson and Cronin seem to be earmarked very much for an impact role off the bench, I don't know whether that's still going to apply, but Henderson certainly gives more ballast, more, more carrying. I mean, it was noticeable watching from the cheap seats up high in the Aviva on Saturday when that red impenetrable wall in the middle, the traffic jam, was there and Ireland couldn't breach them, 55% possession, zero line breaks. The two players who were getting Ireland consistently over the gain line were Robbie Henshaw and Ian Henderson. Henshaw has a slight advantage that he was coming from deep, almost always off set pieces, so you could time it off a scrummer line out and he could come to depth and he carried very hard into the traffic. And then you wanted Ian Henderson to get his hands on the ball because he was the only other one who was really getting Ireland over the gain line. Sean Cronin added some ballast off the bench. Um, you know, Sean O'Brien did as well. Just ball carrying is so important in the modern game because it's like a demolition derby every game you play. And I think that's going to be the story of the World Cup. I think a lot of this rugby is going to be relatively one-dimensional, you know, crash-test dummy-type rugby and who wears down which. You're going to come up against an England team that's going to be big and physical. Ireland are going to come up against a French team that are big and physical. And they're going to have to find ways of getting over the gain line and get that quick ruck ball they thrive on. Because they're not over and down with game-breakers now, particularly that Brian O'Driscoll's gone. The offloads are going trickling down to virtually nothing, as you expected when he wouldn't be around. And so they need all those carriers going well and strongly to have a chance... Um, 
you know, they tried the wrap around cross kicks and little dinks over the top. They didn't quite come off. One cross kick for Earls very nearly did from Johnny Sexton. And, you know, this Irish team is looking to peak six weeks from now and Sexton will get better and the, the, the timing of these things will improve. But, yeah, I think Carney is the prototype of the kind of winner that Joe likes. He's very good in the air. He's tackled hard. He's physical. Um, and if there's, particularly if there's doubts about Andrew Trimble and twice Joe made the point on Thursday last at the team announcement that Andrew Trimble had only played 34 minutes rugby in eight months. Now, that was prior to Friday night when he got through a full 80. But I particularly, particularly think if Trimble doesn't go, there's every chance that not only will Dave Carney now go, but that he might well start. Just staying with Ian Henderson, mm-hmm. um, I think the game was maybe a hint at what the World Cup might look like as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a bit like the first four games of Six Nations where Ireland would go through a few phases and then run, a, run out of ideas. And just, like you say, a lack of penetration. But Ian Henderson, arguably along with Keane Healy, is the only uh, guy who, in really tight spaces, still gains a yard or two. Yeah. Even, say, Sean O'Brien and Jamie Heasler, they unless they get a yard or two or pace up, they tend not to gain that one or two yards that we need. Um, Devin Toner, we know for sure, in tight spaces, doesn't, get, doesn't gain any yards. Um, given the way the rest of the pack is shaping, the starting pack, we assume, with Sean O'Brien, Heasler, Peter Armani, that's a relatively light back row. Mm-hmm. A really skillful one, and great at breakdowns mm-hmm. and all that, but given the way the rest of the pack is looking, does that not mean Ian Henderson almost has to start? No, I don't think so, because it hasn't applied before, and that's been the pack before now. Um, you know, even last season, Jack McGrath played four of the five games, didn't he? Head of Keane Healy, so the, Healy wasn't an option from the start. Um, it was the same back row, and still they started with Devon Toner. And we can't overlook Devon Toner's importance to this team. I remember one of the tries against Scotland just came from him winning a loose ball in the air from a 22 dropout that bounced him, because he's a foot taller than everybody else in the pitch. He was able to palm it down to a teammate, and from that, Ireland went through a few phases and scored a few tries. He's a very important ball winner, and the line although it should come down mostly to systems and there are options there it does function better when Devon Toner is there there's no doubt about it and it, it, it malfunctioned a couple of times at the weekend so I think there's still a case to be made for Devon Toner starting the game and, and Henderson's impact off the bench although I agree with you I think more than ever Henderson is putting for that, pushing for that starting place and potentially certainly gives Ireland more around the pitch in that vital commodity of ball carrying yes That general point you made about the World Cup Jerry, it doesn't sound like it's going to be well it depends what type of rugby you like yeah. to see I suppose and there's also added to the the type of rugby that teams are playing, mm. some of these new rules or new interpretations that are coming in look a little bit tricky. So was Apollo Connell was pinged mm. for this tackle around the neck and there mm. seems to be a reinterpretation around offside. Mm. Are, a few extra challenges. Potentially might these changes not suit Ireland? Um, I think personally, yes, that's possible. I think the big one for me, well, we go into the hindmost foot one. I think if you look back at previous World Cups, yes, with the bonus point system and particularly against the weaker nations, teams are going to go for tries and go for that bonus point. But particularly when it comes to the crunch matches, the likes of Ireland v France or England v Wales or England v Australia, Wales v Australia, those bigger games. And then certainly from the quarterfinals onwards, history has shown us that you don't need to play an awful lot of rugby. Um, I think England got two tries in the knockout stages in '03 when they won the World Cup. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson kicked, kicked a ton of points, including drop goals. And that's what got them over the line. Four years ago, um, the All Blacks didn't even score a try in the final and won 9-8 um, and I think you know there'll be a lot of that again put it this way I was coming to the view that France would be very dangerous against Ireland because of their sheer physicality and they will bring as much physicality as Wales did at the weekend and as England did and I think France are a major threat and unfortunately way better value at around 18-1 to to win the World Cup than Ireland are at 8-1 to and Ireland have never beaten France in three attempts at the World Cup and that's a very dangerous game now and people are getting a little bit carried away that was always going to be a one-score game anyway and even more so I think now looking at the condition France are in and French journalists have been continually telling me on that you know, 
they may not be the most skillful side that France have ever taken to the World Cup, but they will be the fittest and the biggest and the strongest. And it's certainly shaping up that way. And they seem quite spirited and together. Do they have the back play to win a World Cup? I thought not. But then again, do you need back play to win a World Cup? Do you need to score a lot of tries? I'm not sure that you do. There was another thing that we maybe saw uh, if we're looking ahead to the World Cup was Ireland not responding to what the referee wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe Schmidt pointed that out, I think, ahead of anything else after the game. He mm-hmm. pointed that the penalty count went against them really badly. I think mm-hmm. it was 15... The most they've 15, ever conceded in his 21 games under his watch. Yeah, the previous yeah. record was 12 or yeah. 13. So 12, he, he yeah. was pretty shocked by that. Yeah, and, and it is down to maybe referee errors, but it's also down to the players reading it. And these new diktats, for example, you were mentioning there, the high tackle around the head, Paul O'Connell got pinged for it. The high clearing out. The yeah, high, yeah, high, yeah, high, yeah. high clearing out, which, you know, two months ago everybody was doing yeah. every single rook. Yeah. So it's about responding to that. Um, but if Ireland, Ireland have players, obviously, who are smart, but it seems like every game, because these rules come in so quickly in rugby and they're mm. so fresh, it almost seems like within the 80 minutes you have to respond as opposed to knowing beforehand yeah. what you're facing. That seems like one of the biggest challenges we're going to face. Very much so. And Joe Schmidt talks at great length about this. You look at all the warm-up games and we'd say the tr- through the World Cup matches. France got a foothold in the game at home to England because the penalty count went for them. Wales got a foothold against Ireland in the first half because they were, at one point it was five penalties to nil, akin to the six penalties to nil at the Millennium Stadium. There they went 12-0 up. Here they went 10-0 up. Um, Ireland came back into the game because the penalty started to go with them in the third quarter. And then they lost their way because of a, two critical decisions by Joubert and his touch judge, Luke Pearce. The scrum penalty against Nathan White, which um, Joe Schmidt disputed uh, very much so afterwards, and that very harsh interpretation against Paul O'Connell, but from a touch judge quite further away than the referee was at the time. But yeah, I mean, I think if a referee starts going against you, that you can blame players for not responding, but it's also very difficult. You see it in a lot of games. You saw it against England, like I said, in Paris. You saw it against Ireland at the weekend, and it is the exception rather than the rule. It's, you're, you're highlighting two cases, Simon, where it's happened against Ireland in general. Ireland pride themselves on their discipline and generally quite a disciplined team. The one good thing about the penalty count going against them at the weekend and that Paul O'Connell incident is we know from history that they will learn from this and it's better it happened now in a warm-up match which ultimately will be a footnote in history than in a World Cup match against France which is six weeks away. So there is, you know, Ireland have, Ireland have time to peak and rectify a lot of these things and I think they will. I'll hold you there, Jerry. We'll come back to Ireland but if our main concern is, you know, who to choose as third choice loose head prop, South Africa has slightly larger concerns. Craig Ray, uh, you guys are going to get kicked out of the tournament apparently. <laughs> I doubt it but uh, it's not happy times down here, that's for sure. It's uh, pretty complex, uh, as you know from many conversations in the years. Our transformation situation is always at the forefront and it often comes to the fore just before big tournaments and a lot of political opportunists jump out of the woodwork and try and use the Springboks to sort of further their own political causes and I think we're having a, a similar situation this time around with with an organization that no one had ever really heard of until yesterday called uh, the Agency for New Agenda which has launched a high court application to have the Springboks banned from the World Cup because of their... Um, transformation record or they uh, under Heineke Mayer. So it's uh, it's pretty serious because the High Court is going to hear the application. Um, but uh, I doubt it will be successful. Yeah, the team would have to hand over their passports and wouldn't be allowed to even travel to the tournament, let alone play in it. If it was to be successful, you don't think it will be and you feel it's political opportunism. I mean, there have been... 
this has been ongoing for a little while now that Harnika Mayer is picking teams that have too many white players. I think he has got, I don't know how official are the quotas now. I mean, he's, he's got a 30%, apparently there's a, a minimum quota of 30% non-white players to be picked in the squad and he's actually met that. It's, uh, it's, it's slightly more complicated than that. Earlier this year, South African Rugby Union, after lots of consultation with government, and let's just make it clear, government, uh, national government, the ANC government and the South African Rugby Union are on the same page. They've both been named as respondents in this uh, High Court application. So it's actually the sports minister who's the first respondent in the application and the South African Rugby Union as the second respondent. So they both have been hauled to court by this uh, organization. So just a little bit of background. Uh, earlier this year, the South African Rugby Union launched the Strategic Transformation Plan. It's another variation on on, on uh, these types of documents they've had over the years. But this one seems a little bit more um, cast in stone because earlier this year, finally, government put a number on quotas that they wanted to see, which was 50 percent by 2019. So SARU then uh, have launched a quite a comprehensive document that's got a lot of measurables in it to have a 50% transformation across all rugby uh, in South Africa, not just the Springboks, so from provincial level upwards, uh, that coaching and player representation must be at 50%. So this is where Sari are working towards by 2019. In the interim, they did impose a target, and I use the word target as opposed to a quota because targets sometimes aren't met, um, and they imposed the target of uh, of 30% or as close to it for Heineken Mayer for the uh, Springbok World Cup squad, which, again, is another uniquely South African problem. Has he met it or hasn't he? Some people are saying eight black players. Some people are saying nine black players. And, guys, I cringe about this, but it's it's over the over the race of Damien Derlinda. Is he black or is he white? This is only a conversation you could have in South Africa, I think, and uh, people take it seriously. It's, uh, it's, it's quite alarming, really. So bottom line is... Uh, He's made a lot of people unhappy with his with his World Cup squad, and um, you know some people are taking it quite far. What is the bottom line with the World Cup squad chosen by Heineken Mayer? Is that the best thirty-one players in South Africa, in your opinion? Well, you know this is the problem with the transformation targets, and any selection is subjective by its very nature. So my best thirty-one might not be your best thirty-one. So I can't say to you definitively it's the best thirty-one. It's the best thirty-one Heineken Mayer has picked. He says. I, I have no reason to not believe him. Um, you know, some people might argue, where's Marcel Kutsia? Why is he not in Overseer Khaleesi, for instance? You could say maybe that's a transformation selection. But Marcel Kutsia suffered two serious knee, knee injuries in the rugby championship. So, um, you know, he's not 100% fit. Um, again, that's not great precedent because there's a lot of t- players in the uh, Springbok World Cup squad who have missed out a lot of rugby through injury in the recent months. So that's maybe not an argument. But all I'm saying is it's, it's subjective. So I think it's a pretty good squad. Um, and he's picked a lot of good players. Um, and maybe some of the fringe players in the squad, maybe a Mornay Stain, who's been out of favor for 18 months, is lucky to be there. Jan Serfentain, who's been a very good center for the Springboks in 2014, he's unlucky not to be there. That's my personal opinion. But the coaches have made some tough decisions. And I guess, you know, he's got to... I, I think Clive Woodward said it best, you know, Selection will only be proven right or wrong after the tournament. Bearing that in mind, Craig, Jerry Thornley here, what do you think the likely impact of this whole process might be on the Springboks at, in terms of their performance at the World Cup? We've seen, like, with the Italian soccer team, when they've been under the cost from their media at home and bands handing over them, they've gone and won the thing because, you know, it can be quite unifying. And no better time to have an us against the world mentality than at a World Cup. 
And you know, Jerry, that the Springboks, no one does backs to the wall like the Springboks. <laughs> and uh, I think it will galvanize them really yeah. within that squad. I, I think, yeah, first of all, I don't think the players will really, I'd be surprised if anyone other than Yadi Duplessis has a clue what's going on with this, uh, with this high court application and even cares. I mean, Yadi's the most well-read rugby player you'll ever meet and he'll talk your ear off for three hours if you give him a chance but um, other than that I think the rest of the players will just be getting on with training I mean they've been working really hard in Durban where it's 28 degrees today and um, you know they've been working there for weeks and and they look fit I must tell you guys I saw them I went down on, on Friday for the team naming I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks and they all look like they've shed quite a few kilograms like really looking as lean and mean as I've ever seen the Springboks so I think from a from a preparation point of view they'll be fine and and you know they they love to you know have this us against them mentality going into games I think they were complacent last year you remember in, against Ireland Ireland gave them a good hiding and deservedly so they bounced back and beat England when they were under a lot of pressure at Twickenham and then yeah sort of let it slide again against Italy and had a patchy performance. So I think they, they almost need this kind of internal turmoil to, to really keep them focused. All right, so a South African team who've shed a few kilos, look mean and keen, and also have a siege mentality. You've literally, just single-handedly, you've changed the book on this. <laughs> if any bookmakers are listening, Craig, everyone's going to pile Hopefully on. Hopefully not. We get there first. <laughs> Listen, Craig, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Uh, nice to chat to you guys. Cheers. Cheers. What do you think, Jerry? It sounds like you think um, that actually this will turn out to be, it's, as Craig says, only in South Africa is the, the race of one player being you know, debated as to whether or not he should fit into a quota system or not. But in terms of, uh, it sounds a little bit spurious, this, uh, this legal challenge. So assuming all, all is fine and they're going to play in the tournament, um, it sounds like you think this, this probably will galvanise them. Yeah, it's their mentality. They've always had a bit of a siege mentality the best of times and it's served them very well in the past. Sometimes it can go over the edge and affect them in terms of their discipline um, and that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams in this World Cup um, and South Africa pretty high up amongst them I think England have a few you know short fuses yellow cards waiting to happen as well and they're going to be under huge pressure being the home team and discipline we talked about referees and discipline is going to be a huge factor penalties as well as yellow cards but I genuinely do believe they got their, they got their defeats out of the way in, in before the World Cup um, they sound like they're training very well in camp um, they've got a lot of experience, a lot of proven winners, and if anything, this will galvanise them for sure. That's and I've, I use the analogy with the Italians. You know what I mean? When Paolo Rossi and all the boys and had their long bands and their betting scandals, similar with Calcio and Juventus players and so forth. And it, if if it gives you a bunker mentality, we've seen it in so many team sports over the years. It generally can serve a good purpose. Just to go back to the Ireland situation, Jerry, you've got the quotes reported here from. Warren Cannon, I don't know how much of a deal was made of this. They seem uh, fairly, uh, fairly incendiary is, is maybe overdoing it. But to say, I don't think Ireland play a lot of rugby. I thought they were really narrow at times. Uh, when they play that game effectively and use their one-off runners and get some success across kicks, that's what they're good at doing. They're good at pressurising you and eventually forcing turnovers and building scores. But when they played with the ball in hand, we didn't feel like we were under pressure. Describing Ireland as a quality side, he says, I'm not being critical of Ireland because uh, what Joe and the, and the team have done has been outstanding. They've got a formula that's been successful. I'm sure they will try and tweak a few things and try to add a few things to the game. Uh, how did Joe Schmidt respond to that? He was a little peeved. He was asked at the press conference first off um, for his response to that. And he said, my reaction to that was, and he paused, looked for the right words, well, I guess everyone's entitled to their opinion, all the more so after you've won a match. And then he went on to admit that this, they had become narrow at times, and they had. And that emanated in, main, in the main, I think, from issues of the breakdown, the ball carrying we spoke about earlier, Simon. But there was occasions, if you look back at the game, where they, they attacked wide early on and had some joy with that wraparound and freeing players and winners into space and they went for the cross kick. There was no going through Wales, as we discussed, so they tried to go around them or across them or, or whatever, in behind them. 
it didn't work. But um, I think, see, we're not used to a coach who gives such candid opinions <laughs> as Warren Gatlin does. And, you know, he's gold for the Welsh media because he, whenever he speaks, he says something into it. He just says what he thinks. He doesn't really care about too much about the consequence. So he can come across as not being very diplomatic at times. And he's a little bit uncharitable about Ireland, even after they beat Wales well in the opening match. So this is his view of the way Ireland play rugby. He thinks that Wales play too much rugby. I dare say a lot of people would disagree that with that as well. That was a strange one as well. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people would disagree with that. I do think that the point about Ireland keeping their powder dry is a valid one. And you would imagine, you know, that they will show more of their hand at the World Cup, and particularly when it comes to playing France. And, they, you know, they have got games and time to peak yet, so I wouldn't be unduly alarmed by this. There's some validity in what he says, and Joe Schmidt acknowledged that. Just on the selection calls for the squad, I think it's 5pm today. He has to be handed in by, so the news is expected to come tomorrow. And just in case lunchtime tomorrow. Lunchtime tomorrow, yeah. In case things have leaked out by the time people are listening, Mm -hmm. uh, we will now look very silly if all our predictions are incorrect here, Jerry. So with that said, uh, on the marginal calls, particularly the outside backs, who is is the big player to miss out or who are the big players are going to miss out there? Because we're thinking one of maybe Trimble, Bo, these kind of guys, really, really big well, performance. the way I look at it, there are 10 back rows in the initial expanded squad, of which at most six can go. Um, maybe even only five if he wants to try and find a replacement. No, outside backs. Yeah, outside back backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Outside back, I meant to say back three. Yeah. So I'm guessing um, if you process of elimination, which is the kind of, this is what this whole sport within a sport is about, a cruel one, that obviously Craig Gilroy doesn't seem to have much chance of making it given he didn't play in any of the warm-up games. It doesn't look good for Fergus McFadden. Um, it was interesting to hear Joe Schmidt twice reference the fact that Andrew Trimble had only played 34 minutes rugby in eight months, twice last Thursday. That was before he played a full 80 for Ulster, mind, which should have allayed many fears about his foot injury. And in those 34 minutes against Wales, I thought he showed that he gave Ireland something different in terms of the, the line speed in defence and the, the ball and all tackle on Eli Walker, which led to the Keith Earls try. Some of that line speed has been missing since he went off the pitch. It started that day and it's remained that way ever thus. But um, I've got a hunch he might there miss, miss out. It would look as if one of Simon Zebo or Felix Jones is going to go as kind of quasi fullback cover for Rob Carney, stroke winger. Um, I would have thought Zebo has done more in these warm up matches, uh, playing both fullback and wing, scoring against both Wales and Scotland, setting up one try with a long pass uh, for Felix Jones, ironically. He gives, if nothing else, he gives an X factor off the bench, which, you know, if Ireland were losing by a score against France or in the quarter-final against Argentina, the All Blacks, who would you most, which replacement would you most like to see come off the bench? Arguably, it would be Simon Zee because he'll have a goal and he might just do something to unlock a defence. So I think, I think the outside backs might be Earls, Fitzgerald, Zebo, Dave Carney, I think is definitely going to go, Rob Carney, and maybe Tommy Bow, although he's under pressure. One way to free up a bit of space would be to only bring the two scrum halves, the Australian idea. Simon, I know you're a fan. Just as well, we're sitting well, across you, the opposite side of the table. Jerry's not. <laughs> Jerry, you think uh, not bringing three scrum halves is a risk, but then we're talking about effectively bringing one full back with either Simon Zebo or Felix Jones. Well, say, say we assume Felix Jones is going to miss out because he's played very little. Um, then Simon Zebo is your replacement full back. Yep. He's not a full back, he's played there a little bit. He's like, played there a fair bit. A fair bit more than Ian Madigan has ever played scrum Yeah, half. but Ian Madigan's the third choice. So we're talking about if something happens, Rob Carney, suddenly Simon Zebos are starting fullback. I would, I would regard... Dave Carney can also play fullback, and I would regard, anyway, scrum half as a much more specialist position. It's one of the three specialist positions, and I just believe... I know Wales have only picked two hookers, and Australia have only picked two hookers, but I would just believe that you have to bring three hookers, you have to bring three scrum halves, and you have to bring three at halves. And I'll tell you another reason why a slight difference from both... 
with both Wales and Australia, is the importance of Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton to this team as starters. A bit like Robbie Henshaw, the inside centre, and Paul O'Connell, obviously. If any of those players got injured, a short-term injury, like a slightly strained hamstring that ruled them out of one game with a question mark about a second game, you would not want to release them, cut them from the squad and call up a replacement because they're just too important if they're going to be fit again. Therefore, you would be going, running the risk of going into one, potentially two games, with only one scrum half and Owen Redden. And Ian Madigan has never played there before. I know he's a talented footballer, but I think, save after five minutes against France, then um, Owen Redden you know, goes off injured. You're down to Ian Madigan for the last 75 minutes at scrum half against France. I just think when you ask for trouble in life, you often get it. <laughs> and uh, it's just a gamble not worth taking. And I really hope he picks three scrum halves you, for that reason. Would you back Madigan as a scrum half? Or are, you, are you actually I, saying I we'd, actually, only, we'd only have two scrum halves? No, I think you'd do a pretty good job. I really do. I, not against France, but I, I, think, I think we'd beat Italy if Ian Madigan was our scrum half. But not France. He's already covering 12. He's covering 10. But and he's, he's not going to do all those things at once. He's only just going to well, do one of those. Because he might as well be the water boy as well and make the sandwiches. Jerry, brilliant <laughs> stuff as always. Thanks so much. Cheers. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a game for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real don't go hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 be the last one. Bam. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question: Does anybody deserve to lose at the Ireland Cup final? Give me a tech 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie, two castle barmen, and a bridges man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. Oh, Jesus, I'm really sorry about that, Murph. I just had to separate them. That was that was getting physical. And this is we're still a few weeks out from the start of the World Cup here. Not a moment too soon, on. Uh, I was really hoping you were going to step in there, like a like a boxing match where you're just hoping the referee just sees sense. Stop it, Simon's already dead. Again, that's what's coming up in the. Well, it's already ready to go. Actually, the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, but it's not saying to you now. I'm down Twanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Well, it was a big weekend in the Premier League. There was a lot of uh, big teams getting beaten. Uh, Chelsea lost it on to Palace. Liverpool lost it on to West Ham. Manchester United went to Swansea and. Uh, uh, took the usual thrashing they now get from from um, Gary Monk and his boys. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And also, the transfer window closes tomorrow, so we're going to talk a bit about uh, what might happen between yeah. then and then. Can we chat about one more story now? I mean, we've been blabbing on quite a bit today, I think, but are you still listening? You're still listening. That's okay, Grant. We'll talk about Say, one. If, yeah. if, you, if you're still listening, say nothing. Say nothing. Just listen to this for another couple of minutes because I do have to, I can't get through today without mentioning if you know my favourite event in World Athletics. The 4 by 100 The 4 by 100 metres relay. You can keep your 50k walk, your 3,000 metre steeplechase. I'm all about the relays. And it seems like ever since I started watching athletics 25 years ago or so, the British 4 by 100 relay team 
cannot finish a race in a major no. championship final. They no, dropped the bat on. In this case, they forgot to hand it over to each other. The la- they're in a good position to possibly win, win a bronze. And uh, the second last runner was James Ellington. He was supposed to hand it on there to CJ Uja. Uh, kept running. Uja started running. Ellington slowed a little bit. They shouted at each other and ultimately forgot to give each other the baton. Walked off in disgust, leaving them to face the music. In the immediate BBC post-match interview, it was oh, it was cringeworthy. You're watching uh, the they're kind of the big alpha dog in that group is um, Kilty. What's Kilty's first name? Anyway, he's kind of giving it loads about yeah, you know, just got to stick together as a team. Gritted teeth, obviously really annoyed with the two mm-hmm. guys for screwing it up. Both guys basically were asked what happened and blamed the other one. But by Richard, defe- Richard Kilty, but Richard Kilty by defending themselves, they you know it was like well. Yeah. Ellington was saying, well, you know, he, he just, I, I obviously got there at the right time. And Uja was saying, well, no, I, I left at the right time. And this got worse in the press conference afterwards. Apparently, they were all going hammer and tongs. Uh, poor old Uja was having to sit there listening to everybody saying that he shouldn't have been in the team and that they should have left at what it, how it was in the semi final. Uh, there's a report here from Owen Gibson. As his teammates blamed the decision to select him, a shell shocked Uja looked on. Everyone's got their own opinion, said Uja. I could only do what I was told to do, and I was told to come into the team. I feel sorry for this guy. He doesn't sound like the most popular member of the yeah. squad, and he won't be after it's a weird, Yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, it it is kind of pick the four fastest guys, and now we're a team. Mm. The team means a little bit more than just a collection of complete individuals. I mean, you're talking about the most individual of individual sports as well, athletics. And within that, 100-meter sprinters then being asked to... Basically, go against every fibre of their being, which is, I'm all right, Jack. Uh, you know, don't come at me with anything else as long as I'm doing okay. And then make the, try and make the four of them like a team where it's still an individual sport, except for one very tricky bit where they have to interact with each other. Kilty says, if Harry had been there, we would have got the job done. It's probably not the order we wanted as a team. The team together decided on uh, that w- what we thought was best, but it completely switched three hours before the final. Just ramming it home there. They weren't the only team who struggled in the relay game. Yeah, I think the same thing happened with the old Dutch uh, women's uh, 4x100, uh, who would have finished in a national record time, but were disqualified owing to a problem with the changeover at some point. You know? And how did they take it? Did they all back each other? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. The same thing. You know, they, Daphne... family. <laughs> Daphne Skipper yep. is, is the uh, star. You know, she's like oh, the yeah. massive... Uh, tra- probably maybe the biggest um, women's track star of the World Championships. She's running some shit-hot times, all right? She certainly is. Uh, I mean, she's won the 200 metres... Um, an amazing final, an amazing race to watch just from how far back she came to win at the line. And the only people who've gone faster than her own over that distance now are Marion Jones and Flo Joe. And uh, she also beat a couple of really old uh, times uh, set by uh, Heike Drexler and uh, Marita Koch, the, uh, the East Germans from the, you know, these are records, times that have been standing there a long, long time. And and now Daphne Skippers is faster than, than those girls. Uh, so she was laying down the law afterwards, was she? Well, just on the, on the, re, on the relay, yeah. um, someone, someone made a mess of things. And, you know, I suppose you win as a team, you, you lose as a team. Or uh, the interviewer can say, so uh, do you guys maybe need to train a little more on the, you know, relay side of things? And uh, Skippers' quote is, we can train together all we want, but some need to improve individually. At which point, 
the interview ended, she walked away in one direction, the other three in the in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you know, she's the uh, she's the big star on the team, and uh, she's just one of those people who wants other people to to come up to her level. Just all she she doesn't even want them to come up to her level because that's impossible. All she wants is for them to do their best, not to embarrass themselves. Just do your best. Is that really so hard? Is that really so hard? So anyway, she's she uh, obviously beat these old East German times in her in the two hundred. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of that, Owen? You think that's cool? Oh, I, well. I mean, look, uh, she, there was a couple of things that were being said. I mean, and her coach actually had had a couple of quotes. Basically, people people started talking about the fact that she's got some acne. I mean, not a huge amount of acne, um, but just a bit of acne on her back and on her chest, and um, that this is. You know, sometimes people, when they're taking certain kind of performance enhancers, they can sometimes, there, there can be hormonal manifestations along those lines. The coach said, look, you know, uh, um, this is just, it's in her family, you know. I mean, her mother and sister had uh, also had this. And you walk down the street in the Netherlands, I can show you 10 girls who have the same skin, you know. Uh, and the other thing, obviously, was that she was uh, white, Um which uh, the coach also addressed. And he said, look, you know, I know people talk about that, but, you know, the fact is she just got the right genes. That's so just the way it is. And, uh, you know, he was, she kind of, she was asked about it as well. She said, look, you know, I'm clean. I know how hard I work and I don't want to talk anymore about that. So, mm. so that was that, you know, it's... If, uh, you, uh, if you have a spare moment today, you should check out the list of uh, women's track and field world records um, because it's quite informative. Uh, Sometimes Flojo sort of, 100, Flojo 200. There's an East German at 400. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's, it's middle distances are all middle and longer distances are all Kenyans now, you know. Yeah. But, but going back to those, there's so many still standing from the 80s. All right, that's it for this show. What a weekend! Next weekend is going to be. By the way, we've got a couple of Republic of Ireland internationals mm-hmm. framing a weekend full of uh, All Ireland football final semi final replay, All Ireland hurling final on Sunday. Ireland England Twickenham going back to Saturday. Yep. So let's just fast forward through our horrible lives for the next few days and get back I to some amazing sport next week. I certainly intend to that. sleepwalking my way through yeah. the next three days, huh? Okay, we'll chat to you a little bit later on. We can put out a couple more podcasts before that mega weekend. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Uh, thank you both. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> thank you both. Thank you, with that. Thank you Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.